But hey, we are going to continue our sermon series through the Gospel of Luke today. So if you have your Bible or you have your phone, you want to hop on the app, turn to Luke chapter 16. Remember, if you are following along on the Bible app, you can always hit the More tab than Events and you can find us there, Hillside Missionary Church. You can actually find all the information that you normally find in the bulletin right there on the app. Hey, uh, Luke chapter 16, we've been going through this for a number of weeks now, and we ran into kind of a funky passage at the beginning of it. We've been going through the gospel of Luke for about a year, and at Luke chapter 16, there was a really strange passage about this worldly rich man who had a manager who was embezzling funds. He was embezzling this money, and so the rich guy found out about it, and he said, hey, listen, your time's through. Give an account of your books because you're done. You're out of here. You're fired. And so this manager goes through, and he goes to all the debtors that this rich man had, and he said, hey, I'm going to cut you a deal, and then that way you can accept me because I'm getting getting fired here, and uh, I'm going to need a place to go to after I get fired from this rich man. And so what Jesus does here is he uses this story to use an object lesson to teach us to say, hey, listen, this guy was, he it was just a worldly manager, but at least he did something. He was passionate in the fact that he was trying to prepare a future for himself. And he says, as believers, we ought to have some passion behind what we're doing. You ought to say, hey, even the world can do this, so you also should have a passion behind what you're doing in serving Christ. And so we've been talking about this chapter uh, for the past couple of weeks here about this idea that we should serve Christ passionately. And during this Christmas season, we've been using it to prepare our hearts to say, hey, you know what? We do not want to just fall into the normal Christmas mode of, well, this is what we do. We go over to this person's house and, you know, then we read this passage at that church and, you know, good enough. And, you know, that's that's Christmas, I guess. No, no, no. We have to say we want to passionately serve Jesus with everything that we've got. So we're going to take a look at this passage one more time. And here we see that he is teaching the Pharisees, because remember, they piped in, they listened to what Jesus was telling his disciples. And he's going to tell them another strange parable here in Luke chapter 16. Follow along with me. We're going to start here in verse 19. This is what it says. There was a rich man who was clothed in purple and fine linen, who feast sumptuously every day. And at his gate was laid a poor man named Lazarus, covered with sores, who desired to be fed with what fell from the rich man's table. Moreover, even the dogs came and licked his sores. The poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried, and in Hades, being in torment, He lifted up his eyes and saw Abraham far off and Lazarus at his side. And he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me and send Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water and cool my tongue for I am in anguish in this flame. But Abraham said, Child, remember that you in your lifetime received the good things and Lazarus in like manner bad things. But now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. And besides all this, between us, uh, us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able, and none may cross from there to us. And he said, 
Well, then I beg you, Father, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them lest they come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. Let him hear them. And he said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. Kind of a strange and confusing passage, if you ask me. If you have an older translation, uh, you may have known this passage as the passage of Abraham's bosom. They, uh, in this uh, translation, call it Abraham's side. But you may have heard this passage before. You may have not. It's specific to Luke. And if you ask me, it's kind of strange and sometimes we can uh, get it off if we don't really take a look at all the details. So we're going to ask God for his help with this this morning, and then we'll dive into those details. Pray with me, if you will. Father, would you help us to understand this well, to understand your word well, and as you say in your word, to be doers of the word, not just hearers. Help us to put this into application into our lives, Father. Would you help this to mold us to be less like us and more like you, Christ? Would you give us more love and patience and peace and kindness and goodness, self-control? Help us, help us, Father, to live our lives in the way that you created us to live. It's all in your precious, life-changing name we pray. Amen. Hey, I don't know about you, but when I get to a confusing passage of Scripture, maybe it's uh, in my daily devotional time and just kind of reading along, I think for most of us, the tendency is when we get to a passage like this is just to move on and say, well, that's kind of weird. Um, I guess, you know, that's, that's true. It's kind of a strange passage. Let's just move on to maybe something a little bit easier to digest, though. I think when we do that, we're really missing out on a lot of what God has for us. So here's what I want to do. I'm going to do something just a little bit differently. In your note outline, you'll notice in your bulletin today, there's just a place that I put for observations. Here's what I want to do at the beginning is just talk about some observations from this passage. That way we're interpreting it well when we go to say, hey, what does this mean and apply it to our life? So here's what I want to point out first. Right at the beginning of this, and if any of these uh, may uh, strike you in a certain way, or maybe you, when you uh, first read through this this morning with us, maybe uh, you misinterpreted something or misheard something, uh, just jot that down. If it's interesting, you just jot it down. That's going to help us to really understand this passage a little bit better. Take a look right here at the beginning. It says, there's a rich man who is clothed in purple and fine linen. This guy we know is just extremely well off. Most people could not afford the type of clothes that this guy was wearing. Moreover, he's wearing purple clothes, which to us sounds kind of strange, right? Why even acknowledge this? But this is the color of royalty. Purple was extremely difficult to find the dyes to mix together to create this. And so for this guy to not only have nice clothes, but purple clothes, and then also it says that he feasted sumptuously every day. This guy was well off. In fact, in this time, most people would only eat meat about once a week. It was difficult to come by. It's expensive. It's more difficult to prepare. And so for this guy to just be uh, basically having a buffet every day, I mean, we know this guy is very, very well off. And then it gives us this other guy. 
His name is Lazarus. And by the way, we're not sure if uh, this is a real story or it's a parable. If it's a parable, this is the only parable in all of Scripture where there is a man who is named. No, normally it's just kind of this vague, well, there was a farmer or a rich man or a manager or an employee or a son or a father. This guy's actually named. Now, we know that Jesus had a family friend. There was Mary, Martha, and Lazarus. There was a family that was a friend of Jesus. This is probably not the same Lazarus, but this could be a real story. Regardless of whether it's real or a parable, it doesn't change the fact that it's true and it applies to our lives here. But look about what it says about Lazarus here in verse 20. It says that he was covered in sores. I want you just to think about what this guy went through every day that he was willing to lay at the gate of this rich man, just thinking, man, if I could only get some crumbs that come off of his table. I could imagine that the sores he had were probably bed sores from laying here day after day after day. And moreover, look at this at the end here. It says, even the dogs came and licked his source. Now, I don't know about you, but I do not like dogs licking me. Some people, I know some of you all like your frou-frou little fluffy white dogs and you like them and you think it's cute. Let me tell you, you would not think that these dogs licking you is cute. Dogs back then are not domesticated little frou-frou furballs, okay? These are disgusting scavenger-like animals. They would go, they would eat dead things on the street. They would clean up garbage off of the street. I mean, these are disgusting animals, especially for a Jewish person to have a dog lick them. This is especially harming to them. And yet Lazarus can't even stop the dogs from licking him. Well, it says that both of these guys died. And it says the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now, I want you just to think about this just for a moment. In the Old Testament, we uh, have very vague outlines of what the afterlife looks like. Looked like, In fact, when Jesus comes on the scene, there's two different uh, categories of uh, religious leaders, Jewish leaders here. We have the Pharisees. They believed in the afterlife. And we have the Sadducees. They did not because they were sad, you see. See, yeah, um, eventually I will get you to remember it. They were sad, you see, and so they did not believe in it. I know it's cheesy, but you'll never forget it now. Okay, so we've got here an evidence of what this afterlife looked like before the finished work of Jesus on the cross here. It says that this poor man, Lazarus, was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. Now, some of your older translations may say Abraham's bosom here. It's the same place. And uh, it says that the rich man died and was buried and in Hades. So uh, in the Old Testament, we have Sheol. In the New Testament, in Greek, we have Hades. Really, these are the same places. The Old Testament, most of it is written in Hebrew. The New Testament in Greek. And so they have two different words for it. They both mean the same thing. It's a place of death. And so we have this place of comfort and rest known as Abraham's side. And if you read something like Genesis where someone will die, um, let's say Moses or Abraham, it'll say something like, they went to go be with their fathers. This is what this is referring to. It's a place of comfort. It's a place of rest for the Old Testament saints to go to before the finished work of Jesus on the cross. We also have a place of torment here. Uh, in the New Testament, they call that Hades. Again, in the Old Testament, that will be known as Sheol. But it's the same place 
and it is not a good place to be. It is someone who has not trusted in God. It is someone who has not followed what God wanted them to do. They ended up in Hades. That's where this rich guy is. And look at this. It says, he lifted his eyes and saw Abraham from afar off and Lazarus at his side. Now, I want you to think about this. This guy is probably a Jewish man if he recognizes Abraham and he sees the guy who was at his gates. Now, we know that this guy, this rich man, has sinned because he has not taken care of Lazarus. How do we know that's a sin? Well, James 4.17 says, whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him, it's a sin. And so for him to be feasting sumptuously, to be living high here and not help out Lazarus, we know is a sin. I could not imagine the heart drop moment that this rich man would have had as he sits in Hades in torment and sees the poor man who sat at his gate by Abraham's side, being in comfort and rest. And so he yells out. He says, he says hey, you know what? I need some help. Look at what it says. Uh, it says this. He called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. He sent Lazarus to dip the end of his finger in water to cool my tongue, for I am in anguish in this flame. Now, I want you to think about this just for a moment. Sometimes we think about the afterlife, and we think about this, you know, it's just kind of this, uh, you're not really conscious, you're just kind of floating around. If you're in heaven, you know, you're just kind of floating around with God. If not, you know, you're in hell, it's uncomfortable, but you're not very conscious of what's happening. That's obviously not true. Look at this picture that we get. This guy, he is in anguish and he cries out. He is consciousable to know what is happening, which makes sense because if you remember just a few chapters ago when we went through this sermon series in Luke chapter 13, did you remember what Jesus says? It says, he will, but I will say to you, I tell you, do not, uh, I do not know where you come from. Depart from me, all you workers of evil, in that place there will be weeping, gnashing of teeth when you see, look at this, when you see Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and all the prophets in the kingdom of God, but you yourselves are cast out. Not if you see them, but look at this, when. They are conscious of what is happening here. And this guy, he's yelling out and he's saying, hey, just, I mean, could you imagine the, the anguish that you must be in to ask for someone to dip their finger in water and hover over your mouth. I mean, if that is refreshing to you, I mean, could you imagine doing that today? I mean, we couldn't because of COVID, but I mean, could you imagine, hey, I want you to dip your finger in, mouth, or in water and then just hover it over my mouth so like a drop can come off. Like that's kind of gross, right? And yet this guy is like, no, that sounds awesome. I need that. Would That would give me some momentary relief from the anguish that I am feeling right now. So you might be asking a question at this point. Okay, so what is Jesus getting at when he's teaching this parable? When he's teaching this story, what is going on? What do we take from this? Well, I want you to think about in this series, what we've been talking about and the parable that came before this, that we should serve Christ with passion. I think as he teaches these Pharisees here, he's saying, hey, listen, you Pharisees, this is your uh, future if you don't listen up. It's almost like a Christmas carol. Uh, my family and I watched the Muppets version of that. I shared that a couple weeks ago. It's almost like that where 
the uh, old uh, employee, the old partner of Scrooge comes in and he goes, hey, listen, look what happened to me. This is not good. This is your future if you follow down this path. Jesus is almost giving that to the Pharisees. And I think for us, it's an encouragement to say, hey, listen, we have got to stay passionate. We've got to stay on the right track for Christ because it is so easy for us to veer off. It is so easy for us to say, you know what, I'm going to passionately serve you, Christ, and then have that passion fizzle out and start wandering off into something that God never created us to do and be. So here's what I want to do today. I want to look at this story and give us an encouragement to stay passionate, to say, hey, you know what, this is what God has called us to do. Let's passionately serve Him. Let's passionately do what He's called us to do. Here's the first thing I want to point out to you. I want you to remember that your life is fleeting. Think about what happened to both of these guys. They died. Did you know that someday, unless Jesus returns first, you will die? Every single one of us has a 100% chance. Unless Jesus returns first, we will die. Now, when you sit at a funeral, maybe that uh, makes you think of maybe someday your own funeral. I know it does for me. But regardless, when we talk about these two guys, they died. And we have to realize, hey, listen, our lives here on earth, it's fleeting. It is not permanent. Take a look how James puts it. He says, come now, you who say today or tomorrow will go into such and such a town and spend a, <clears throat> a year there and trade and make a profit, yet you don't know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? You are but a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Think about that. Your life is not permanent. Psalm 39, verse 4 says, O oh Lord, make me know my end and what is the measure of my days. Let me know how fleeting I am. Our lives here on this earth are not permanent. And I think that can really help us to stay passionate for Christ if we simply remember, hey, listen, all of these hard things that we're going through, all these difficult things, you may be going through financial hardship. You may be going through marital hardships. You may be going through times that you never thought you would ever go through. And it's difficult. Let me tell you, but it is not permanent. There is rest and there is comfort for those who trust in Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. But we have that promise. And when we take a look at this story, I think we ought to remember, hey, listen, our lives here are not permanent. And so what we need to do then is to say, you know what? I am going to passionately serve Christ because I know that my days are numbered. They are limited. And so I'm not going to get caught up into the, the rat race here of keeping up with the Joneses and uh, just chasing after the next big thing or, or having the best status or whatever it might be. I am going to passionately serve Christ with everything that I've got. Take a look at what happens next in the story here. Now, this is uh, Abraham uh, acknowledging what he has says, and, and this uh, this rich guy has said, and he says this child, like almost like a, oh, you really don't get it, do you? You really don't get it. This is Abraham talking, <coughs> and he says, child, remember that you in your lifetime received your good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. But now he is comforted here and you are in anguish. 
Now, before we move on, I want to just clarify one more thing for you. Um, sometimes we can read this story and think that the rich man was condemned because of his riches. And likewise, that Lazarus, the poor man, was saved because of his poverty. This is not the, the, the case at all. In fact, later on, Abraham will say that, the, uh, that this rich man's brother, as he's crying out for them, hey, listen, they have the prophets. Let them listen to them. This rich man was not condemned because of all of his uh, riches. He was condemned because he did not trust in God. And likewise, Lazarus was not saved because he was poor. Now, sometimes we can kind of um, have this idea that, oh, well, we just need to stay poor and then God will save us. That's just simply not the case. And that uh, riches are always evil. Some people have the opposite opinion. This is actually the opinion of the Pharisees that if you had a lot of riches, if you were well off in life, then God had blessed you. And all of these things are just because of the good things that you have done. And if uh, likewise, if you do not have these things, if you're poor like Lazarus, well, then you're cursed by God. And then uh, that's it. You're just automatically cursed. You have done the wrong things. Jesus is pushing back against this. And when the Pharisees would have heard that, their minds would have been boggled by this, that the rich man did not end up in heaven with Abraham. Now, take a look at uh, verse 26 here. Now, Abraham continues and he says, Besides all this, between us, you, uh, between us and you, a great chasm has been fixed in order that those who would pass from here to there may not be able and none may cross from there to us. Now, I want you to think about this. As he's talking, as Abraham is talking, if you are the rich man right now, and you are in Hades, and he just said, hey, listen, there's a huge chasm. You're there, and it's permanent. You are never coming out. I want you to think about like the heartbreak that that might bring you to know, oh, I am going to be in torment for eternity. I think it's something that we all have to recognize is that after this life, it is fleeting, and after we die, we will either dwell in heaven or hell. There is no in-between. There is two places, heaven and hell. And once you are there, it is permanent. And I think by remembering that our place in eternity is permanent, we can stay passionate for Christ. Some people would say, well, you know, God is good. And, you know, yeah, you'll go to hell for a little bit. But, you know, it's kind of like, you know, when your mom sent you to your room and then, Dad comes home and he has a talk with you and he says, go apologize to your mother and then you can come out of your room. That's simply not the case. Once we are in eternity, whether it be in heaven or hell, we are there permanently. It is eternal. It is forever. You will never come out of heaven or hell once you're there. It is eternal. And I think what we have to recognize is that our place in eternity is permanent. And so when we're here on earth and we have decisions to make about whether we'll trust in God, whether we'll do what He says or just go do our own thing, I think we can really stay passionate for Christ by remembering, hey, listen, your place in eternity is permanent. Think about the encouragement that that is. To know, to have the assurance behind you to know, hey, 
If Jesus is my personal Lord and Savior, I'm saved. The work is done. Jesus has already done the work on the cross, and my place in heaven is eternal. And so while I'm here on earth, I'm going to try and get everybody that I can to be saved. I'm going to do everything in my power to go and to tell people the love of Christ and to go and show them the love of God that He gave His one and only Son. It is uh, encouraging to do that, to, to think about that, to stay passionate for Christ. Because once we are at the end of our lives and we are in heaven or hell, it's done. Our place, it's done. There is no purgatory. Some Christian uh, traditions would believe in a third place known as purgatory. Scripture says nothing about that. Jesus says nothing about that. It's only heaven and it's only hell. That's the only two places. And once you're there, you're permanently there. One more thing I want to point out to us about this story. This guy, he, uh, this rich man, replies to Abraham, and he starts begging him. He realizes that his place is permanent. There's, there's nothing that can be done for him. He will get not even the little bit of relief that he's asking from Lazarus to dip his finger in the water. And so he asks then this. So then I beg you, Father. It's interesting. He calls Abraham Father. This guy was probably a Jewish man. Look at what he's begging. He says to, uh, to send him, this is Lazarus, to send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Now, this guy, he has some know-with-all about him to say, hey, listen, there's nothing that can be done for me. So why don't you go and warn my brothers? Why don't you go and warn those whom I love? Because, listen, I, I know that they're headed for this place. Take a look at how Abraham responds to him. He says, they have Moses and the prophets. Let them hear them. He said, no, Father Abraham, but if someone goes to them from the dead, they will repent. He said to them, look at this. Look how Abraham replies. If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. I want you to think about that just for a moment. What Abraham is saying. He's saying literally, hey, you couldn't rise from the dead and haunt them as a ghost. It's going to do nothing. They will not change their mind. They have Moses. They have the prophets. Let them listen to that. Let them listen to God's word. And if not, then their place is going to be the same as yours. Now, I want you to think about those five brothers just for a moment. Their hearts were hardened just like the rich man was towards Lazarus. Certainly, the rich man would have seen Lazarus out his window, at his gates, and his heart was hardened. And these five brothers, they can't even be haunted by a ghost and change their mind. What happened? Their hearts are hardened. If we're going to stay passionate for Christ, let me tell you, we have got to guard ourselves and not allow our hearts to become hardened. The longer we are Christians, the longer that we go to church, that we've accepted Christ, the easier it is for the enemy to have our hearts 
hardened. This is a temptation that we will all deal with, especially if we have been Christians for a long time. Our hearts can be hardened, and we have to guard against this. Look if we don't. Here's, here's what will happen. Ephesians 4.18 They are darkened in their understanding, alienated from the life of God because the, of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardness of their heart. Proverbs 28.14 puts it like this. Blessed is the one who fears the Lord always, but whoever hardens his heart will fall into calamity. And let me tell you, all of our hearts will deal with this. If you don't believe me, Take a look at Jeremiah 17, 9. It says the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately sick. Who can understand it? Guys, let me tell you, if we do not guard against our hearts being hardened, it will ruin our passion for Christ. We'll fall into the same routines that we do all the time. And instead of being led by God, instead of asking Him for His help, instead of asking Him for His correction through His Word, instead of being molded to be less like us and more like Him, our hearts will become hardened. We have to guard against this. We have to say, God, humble my heart. God, would You correct me when I am wrong? Would You soften my heart to Your leading in my life, God? If we do not, our hearts will become hardened. And we will have no passion for Christ. We have to say, God, keep my heart soft towards you. Allow me to be molded by you. Why? Because let's be honest, this life, it's not forever. It is fleeting. And afterwards, our place in eternity is permanent. So let's keep our hearts soft towards Christ. Let's keep passionately serving him. Let's be the moms and the dads and the employees that do this, guys. Let's be the people that continually, decade after decade after decade, serve Him. Let's be that church that can do that. I don't know about you, but I think that's really the mark of someone who passionately serves Christ, is that longevity and that perseverance to decade after decade after decade serve Him and ask Him, to keep our hearts humble and to continually be molded by Him. I don't know about you, but I want to look back at 10 years from now, 20 years from now, 30 years from now, and go, man, God continually changed my life. God continually molded me, and I am not the same man that I used to be because of Him. Let's be transformed by Him. Keeps our, keep our hearts humble towards Him and not fall into the same trap that this rich guy fell into where he saw something that God obviously wanted him to help out with and intentionally looked the other way. Let's not become like these five brothers whose hearts become hardened. Let's keep ourselves humble before Christ. And especially as we talk about this Christmas season too, and we go to our get-togethers this week and hang out with our families and have some time off of work. Let's keep our hearts humble. Let's not just go through the same routines. <clears throat> Let's passionately serve Christ with everything that we've got. Amen, church? Let's pray. Oh, Father, we 
go before you today and we need your help with this. We need your help to remember, man, our lives are only temporary here on earth. And Jesus, we need you. We need your help to serve you passionately. God, would you help us to do that? Would you help us to continually, decade after decade after decade, serve you well, to build up your kingdom? God, would you give us the things that we need? Give us the wisdom, give us the courage and the strength to serve you well. God, would you give us passion? The passion to build up your kingdom, to not fall into the same things uh, year after year after year, but to constantly be molded by you, to constantly serve you with everything that you are. Jesus, would you help us do that? Help us to glorify you with everything that we've got. Father, if there's someone here who maybe hasn't put their hope and trust in you, I pray that today would be their day. That today they would do that. That they would serve you with everything that they've got. That they would accept you as their Lord and Savior. Jesus, thanks for coming to be born in a lonely manger. We don't take that lightly, coming from your heavenly throne down to a barn. Thank you for dying a horrific sinner's death and for your finished work on the cross, which allows us to have salvation. Only through you, Jesus. Thank you. Help that to change how we live our lives. It's in your precious life-changing name we pray. Amen.